Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Got a good guest this week and next, Bob Perlow, who is uh, a key element in sitcom production, and he has been for 37 years. He is pretty much the warm-up guy's warm-up guy. He has been the warm-up man for Friends, for Cheers, for Taxi, for Newhart, Full House, Growing Pains, Dharma and Greg, The Tonight Show for many years. There really is an art to it, and I say that because I did warm up for Cheers, and I know how difficult it is. This guy is the master. He also wrote a book called The Warm-Up Guy. His name is Bob Perlow, and like I said, uh, we'll be talking about the art of doing an audience warm-up this week and next, right here on Hollywood and Levine. Okay, so I'm going to start off by asking you the same question I once asked Prince Charles. How does a young man get into a field like yours? It's serendipitous, if I can use that word. Um, I just more or less lucked into it much in the way I lucked into show business. I was, you play paddle tennis and the person you're playing with says, do you want to be a writer on Laverne and Shirley? And you say, yes, on a Wednesday and on a Friday, you're pulling up to the gates of Paramount. So I guess oh. everyone does it like that. Oh, okay. I back up just a little bit. How, how did that work? Who did you play paddle tennis with and what made him think that you could be a writer? Exactly. I was, a, I came out to LA to be a tour guide on buses for two weeks at a time. So I was going up and down the coast of California, giving tours of, of between Vegas and LA and Santa Barbara, Yosemite. And when I was, li- I was living in LA, I was roommates with Jay Leno. We were friends from, from Boston. So he was doing his comedy. This was 1974, 75. And you were doing tour guides, so you were going like, uh, and and to your left is Barstow. No, no, on your right, on your and on oh. your <laughs> and on your right, and, and it was it was. I I feel bad now. I don't really feel bad, but you you know these people have never been to California, and I for the first time I came out with them, and I was giving them the tour. So I <laughs> so hey folks on your right is Dara's Day's house. Which one? Go the, the one on the right and on your right. And then for the two weeks, I'm giving them a tour. I had never been to California before. And, and going up the coast between L.A. and uh, Big Sur, I would say, oh, this will be a good one. Folks, in about 10 minutes, and I'll tell you exactly. Remember, there were no cell phones. So they had real cameras. 
we're going to pass a very famous rock formation on your left-hand side. It's the Millard Fillmore Rock, which obviously is an exact replica of our late great president, Millard Fillmore. When I say snap the picture, you'll do it. When you get back home, you'll see how it's the exact uh, (laughs) picture of Millard Fillmore. And you'll see. Okay, right now, go, oh, yeah, it does look like, no one knows what Millard Fillmore looks like. <laughs> so that was, a, that was giving tours up and down the coast. And then uh, I, I was taking a comedy class with a friend of yours, uh, Andy Goldberg, mm-hmm. and, and that group of people. In the class uh, was a guy who later became really good friends with me, uh, Mark Sotkin. And... We had an affinity for, at the time, paddle tennis, which now is called pickleball. It's, it's the same game with less holes in the racket. And we would play occasionally. And one day in particular, he goes, hey, you thought I was funny. You, you're funny. You, you want to be a writer. I go, sure. And I didn't know this, but he was one of the writers on Laverne Shirley that was about to take the place of the, the group that was going to get fired, which was a an annual thing with uh, Cindy and Penny. And once he got to be the uh, producer, he hired me. So on a Wednesday, I was given a tour. Friday, I was pulling up to the the guard gate at Paramount. So that's how I kind of eased into show, but which I don't recommend for anybody. You don't, you don't go and look to play paddle tennis to get into show business. Did you get fired after a year? Did uh, Penny and Cindy fire you? Oh sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but 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 uh, you expect it. But I was also doing the warm up, so I stayed on as their warm up guy. That that became my career. Is that how you started doing warm up on that show? Yeah. Um, it, again, the word serendipity is going to come up a lot because it seems like you know a lot of my life these things just happen. One night, um, and you know what? I, I have the recording of him. He would Gary the nicest man in the world, was nice enough uh, just a few years before he he passed to reenact what happened that particular night in 1975. And I remember because it's a seminal point in my entire life where, and you know, his cadence is so unique. Bob, the audience, it's a little dead tonight. Go out. Talk to them. And I would start to go, oh, be funny. And I never <laughs> have stopped since that night. That's why I remember it like it was yesterday. But like I said, I do this little one-man show, and he was nice enough to record that so I'd have it in the show. Because, again, it was that one moment that you never forget in your life. Mm-hmm. It got you on a whole path. Wow. Yeah. How many shows have you worked on, do you think? Um, well over a hundred, but thousands of, of, of episodes. Of, sure. Of episodes. And, and we're talking pilots and, you know, in your heyday, I, I did Cheers, Taxi, Newhart, uh, It's a Living, uh, Golden Girls, Mark and Mindy, uh, uh, obviously Vernon Shirley, Happy Days. So I, I was sought after, which is why it was so important that Gary did that for me. And so let's talk a little bit about the responsibilities of a warm-up guy. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's so important. People don't realize how important a warm-up guy is. And I, I'm going to tell a, a story. Uh, you know, I did warm-up a little bit for Cheers as well. But uh, a number of years ago, I was involved in a theater, the White Fire Theater in Los Angeles. And we put on a program called Dead Pilot Society, where we took three failed pilots. We invited writers to do three failed pilots and adapt them for the stage. And we put together a whole program, including a pilot that David Isaacs and I wrote. And the first couple of times that we did it in front of an audience, uh, they all played okay. And then I got the idea, I said, you know, if people are essentially watching a television taping, why don't I go out and do like a little warm-up? And I did like a two-minute warm-up, just welcoming people and have a good time and that sort of thing. The laughs went way up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they went absolutely like 50% higher as, as a result of that. It really does make a difference. Yeah. Um, again, the general public doesn't know this except when they see at the beginning of, of their favorite episode filmed before a live studio audience, not knowing that there's a job like that, that is to keep the people, involved not to be too funny again it's a double-edged sword yeah you can't upstage the show god forbid i mean then then it's death when they go action so it's that thin line you have to walk and it's important i mean you of all people you know know this as as director producer and writer that you need that crowd to be hot not too hot because then they and it's a balancing act also during the whole course of the night, whether it's a, I ended up on the Tonight Show, which is a whole different warm-up that's, that's bing, bang, boom, and you're done in 15 minutes and they're, they're at a fever pitch. But God forbid you get them at a fever pitch in a sitcom because then they'll burn out. So knowing, you know, we get the script on a Wednesday and you reading through it, you go, okay, you've got to bring them down now then bring it back into the story. It's a balancing act. You bring up a good point about being involved in the script. And one of the things that uh, a good warm-up guy has to do in a sitcom is keep resetting the situation for the studio audience. Because at home, you see a scene, and a second later, you start seeing the next scene. But when you're at an actual filming a scene ends and then it's sometimes 15, 20 minutes of costume changes and changing the cameras and moving over to another set. So you have to, again, sort of reset the situation. Okay, here's what happened. And uh, his dog died and she went to tell him. And, and so now here's the next scene. Exactly. And I would tell the stage manager, go when you get the, the okay to say, wrap it up, Bob, please add on another 15 seconds so I can do the wrap up. Okay. Remember Frazier left the apartment and he went to the studio and remember Niles is doing this. Now he's coming back. So this is happens automatically. This is not 15 minutes later, even though we have been waiting for 15 minutes, it's now he's coming back in. 
So it's important that they you recap that whatever the situation was. Right. When we started out at MTM, and it's something that we continued at Paramount and certainly shows that David and I did, uh, we had a band. So uh, there was kind of a, a break between when there was that 15-minute stretch. The warm-up guy didn't have to do 15 minutes. There was like a band that would, would play for like about uh, 10 of them. Uh, and you're talking late warm-up. <laughs> the early days, we didn't have, there were no... I know, yeah, yeah, I know. But we had a good band. We had, we had uh, Carol King's band on Almost Perfect. Yeah. And it, it was it was great. You know, it, it made the warm-up guy's job a lot easier because, you know, there was music and there was things happening. I, I've been in situations where there's not been a band and there's like a 20-minute, half-an-hour, you know, um, intermission between scenes. And again, you don't know how long that's going to be. It's not like you know, I've got 12 minutes. You could have 12 minutes, you could have 40 minutes, depending upon how long it takes the actress to change her costume. And, and, and you have to fill that and be ready to go, we're ready, Bob. Then you need that, again, that 15 seconds of recap. But you can't be in a, an involved situation with a dance contest. And I used everything. I had phones on the stage, but there was no music I don't think people use music. I think I was kind of the first one to really, I wasn't a disc jockey. I had <laughs> eight track cassettes <laughs> that I labeled. Well, for instance, I go, and this was bits that I had uh, not pre recorded. I would ask a question. I go, you know, pick somebody out of the audience, whatever the question was. And my sound guy, which would be the sound guy for the show, would know when I gave a little nod to press da 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 the theme for Jeopardy. Right. Mm-hmm. But it, it had to be, if he waited too long, it wouldn't work. So it had, and each show I did had a different sound guy. So each eight track was labeled. Then later on, the, the, the uh, uh, I got a, a machine that he pressed a button. And then obviously we, we got a, at, at the end of my career, it was the uh, computer where he, everything was programmed in and numbered according to what we needed. More with Bob Perlo in a moment, but first a word about Fields. Fields is the premium CBD that will help keep your head clear and help you feel your best. It's hassle-free, delivered directly to your door. It is a CBD that naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and here's how I use it for sleeplessness. No hangovers, no addiction. You just place a few drops of Fields under your tongue and you can feel the difference within minutes. They also offer a free hotline to answer any of your questions and joining the field's monthly membership. Well, it's super easy. You'll save money on every order and you could pause at any time. So what are you waiting for? Start feeling better with Fields. You can become a member today by going to fields.com slash Levine, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F E A 
ALS.com slash Levine to become a member and get 50% off automatically from your first order with free shipping. Fields.com slash Levine. Did you ever do so many shows that you, you walked onto a stage and you're going, what is this again? Where am I? Is this Growing Pains or Newhart? Boy, I'll say, that's why the script was so important. I would have each script, with, with, and oh, I'm gonna, and one trick I had, I don't know if it's, everybody that's in a, a show, whether it's a pilot, after the, the initial cast, the audience couldn't care less about who's in the show. But that actor's family is in the audience. Mm-hmm. So you have to, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's cast as the janitor, and if I'm doing three shows a week and it's uh, uh, Joe-ish Kabibble, I wouldn't remember the name. I would I had a trick. I'd go, and as the janitor, Joe Kabibble. Well, go, nobody could make out hear what, what you said. Heard Joe. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and their family would be okay, even though it wasn't the guy's name. But yeah, that's the, the curtain call. Did you work some shows where the stars themselves would come out and do a few minutes? Most shows. Most sh- Again, I, I feel so fortunate to have done what, what I did and, and what, what you do. But Newhart would come out. It was so brilliant. He would do five minutes every show. So by the first scene, it would be, oh, that's Bob. We love him. He's a, he's a normal guy. The only one early, early on, right after Laverne and Shirley, and then I did uh, Working Stiffs with Michael Keaton and Jim Belushi. Mm-hmm. Then I did a show for Cassie Werner called Old Madeline with Madeline Kahn, mm-hmm. which only lasted one season. For some reason, she wouldn't come out for intros, not curtain call, but intros. And I thought, boy, she's she's losing such an opportunity because... TV audiences really didn't know who she was. So for her to come out and to say hello would have been a leg up. Instead, we're in the first scene, and they're still getting used to seeing the the girl from Young Frankenstein, so they're they're holding back the laugh, thinking, oh, who is she? So, yeah, in answer to your question, most of the people in all the shows I worked with, they would come out. Uh, Craig T. Nelson would come out and coach. Um, I don't know if Dahmer and Greg, did they come out at the beginning? Do you recall? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe she did. Maybe Jenna came out. But I don't think uh, Gibson came out. Right. Yeah. Uh, but during the show, they would they would come out and, and do a little q and I, I thought Yeah, it was, sometimes. Yeah. I thought it was imperative, to be honest, because it... it humanize them to a great extent. In other words, whatever the character is, I mean, it is breaking the fourth wall to a certain extent, but it also gives it that homey feeling. Right. And for the studio audience, it's a a chance to connect with the actual actors, that they're talking to them, which is something they would never have experienced if they didn't go to a filming. In a million years, that's as close as, as they're going to get. And it, and I had them come up because I worked in the audience. I don't know if you re- remember that. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, 
a lot of warm-up guys are, are on the set. I said, no, that's uh, I'm going to portray myself as one of you looking at, at the crowd, which I, I think it worked for my style. That's what I did too. But of course, yeah. I might have just stolen my style from you. Obviously, it, it's so <laughs> to this day. Go, boy, that living. He really. I go, hey, you, you know, God bless him. It, it, it's it's an homage. <laughs> <laughs> I had a rough. You know, just to get off. Again, I, I was on Laverne and Shirley, but there were two factions early on. The two producers who came up together and kind of butted heads. And I came in as Mark Sotkin's guy. He goes, ah, oh, this guy, he's not a writer, but he is funny. He is funny, which is the kiss of death. <laughs> of course. And uh, it, you're just a big target. Oh, my God. So I'm, I go in, <laughs> the first day I go into the writer's room and I look around. It's like Nebish City and they shoot me daggers. Oh, so Mr. Funny Guy is here. I was so intimidated. I'm, I'm, you know, I was giving tours for two weeks at a time. I'm pretty good on a mic. I'm pretty good in a room. But this almost like was so overbearing on me. I was so intimidated that I didn't give a peep. And they're looking because now I was, oh, go ahead, Mark. Where's your boy now? And I right, right. Amuse us. Amuse yeah, us. Pretty much. But it got <laughs> even worse than that. The other guy, the other producer that Mark brought me in against, not against, it's a bad word, but it's that friendly rivalry where I'm Mark's guy and the other producer, after two weeks maybe, go, hey, Bob, I got you something. It was a shirt with stenciled on it. I'll be funny soon. Oh, yikes. <laughs> go, oh, not soon enough. <laughs> so it, it was like, oh, God. I did, oh, it was, I, I still. What get, was it like writing your first script for Laverne and Shirley? I loved it. I, I couldn't get enough stuff in. I go, oh, this is great. This is killer. This is great. They're, they're going to love this. Oh, I've fallen down laughing. And then obviously it goes into the room and, and, as a writer, it's your job not to use somebody's work, but to make it better. So by the end of the, of when it was ready to shoot, it was like, I don't remember this. <laughs> but again, then I was on the other side and I got to rewrite freelance scripts or even guys on staff, their scripts. Right. So it was, it was a, again, it was, it was trial by fire for me. I know most writers wrote and I came in cold because I was the funny guy, although I'll, I'll be funny soon, <laughs> right away. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be funny not right away, but soon. Yeah, uh, next year. Next year for sure. Oh, I'm going to kill this room next year, you son <laughs> of a bitches. <laughs> you know, there's a very big difference between doing a warm-up for, say, a pilot where the audience is coming in and, and they don't know what the show's about, who these people are, what they're about to watch. Is this going to be any good? Big difference between that and coming in on a, a show like Cheers or New Heart or Taxi or Friends where, uh, where people have waited months for tickets and the minute they walk onto the stage, they are so geeked up 
uh, it's it's quite a difference doing warm up for those two crowds. A different planet. It, it's so. I mean, like like you just said, they're going in to see their friend Woody, their friend Coach, and they could do no wrong. Whereas a pilot, and I would you'd get a lot of calls for pilots because it was such an important thing for the writers. It's their one shot, probably in life. When you mm-hmm. get a pilot on, it's like, oh, my God, I'm not going to buy that house. Oh, don't buy it just yet. Why don't you wait a week? You know, <laughs> chances are this won't get picked up. And if it does get picked up, chances are it won't go for more than a year. So don't buy the house just yet. You know, so, yeah, you have there's a lot of exposition to do with who who are these people. And you as a writer have to almost write that in subliminally without really saying, oh, this is Carl. Carl grew up in, you you can't say all that. You you almost have to massage it. So it's like you kind of know who he is and hopefully it'll get picked up and then we'll be able to know more about Carl. But the pilot's tricky, as, as you well know. Yeah, and so are the first few episodes before the show is actually aired. Uh, I remember those early shows of Cheers, we would have to show a um, a portion of the pilot just to orient the audience. And even then, uh, things just wouldn't work as well because the audience didn't know who these people were. I remember we would do norm entrances and people had no idea that this was a running bit. Um, and again, by the end, uh, the run when you're in season 10 and 11, and people are laughing at straight lines. It's like all of a sudden you don't even have to earn the laughs anymore. It's like uh, Mark. He couldn't go anywhere. Mark! You know, it's Robin Williams. But when you bring up Cheers, if I recall, we had to put up, a screen. They didn't even have it, so it was on the monitors. It wasn't tape. It was it was filmed. So didn't we show it on a screen? Jim Burroughs would be sitting over to to the left. I think. Well, I I know for a good part of the run we had monitors, but I'm not sure. Early on, might have been a screen. I think so for the, for the first season. Yeah. yeah. You know, you think back in the first season of Cheers, we were still editing on film with, uh, you know, the the edit all blocks and splicing uh, bits of film and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you go back to the Pleistocene era, 1982. Oh, yeah. I remember in in Laverne and Shirley, my first year, they would let us into into the editing session and it would be, oh, get camera two and they have to, run it back and show, okay, let's use that. And let's see the master. And again, I hope it's not too complicated. Right. Well, and eventually it all got transferred to, uh, to videotape. And so you could watch all four monitors. And at one time you could just say to the editor, okay, let's go to camera two for this line. Let's go to camera one for this line. But when you're editing on film, no, it was it was very very different, and and even having a screen was um, was new, because back in the early days, from the time of I Love Lucy, there were no monitors assist. The audience 
had to actually watch what was going on on the stage, which sometimes, you know, cameras are blocking your view. Oh, yeah, yeah. And also, if there was a swing set over to the side... They couldn't see it. If you didn't have uh, uh, the monitors, you'd have to they'd be leaning over the side, or they would just be... It was, hey, look, we go back to... <laughs> To the Stone Age of I know, weather. don't we? <laughs> we'll go back to on Monday it would be a yellow copy, and they'd have to deliver it in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and order food from Nickelodeon. Right? <laughs> oh my! And that was a, a, a that that was also a thing where on, on who's the boss, Laverne and Shirley, after the run through at five o'clock on say a Tuesday or a Wednesday. There was a there was a hint of what your night was going to be like if the PA, the production assistant, <laughs> would come in the room with menus. The good thing is you can order anything you want. The bad thing is if he's coming in with menus, it means you're going to be there for a, a long night. That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Most of my meals for 30 years, most of my lunches and dinners were out of styrofoam. Yeah, when it was legal. (laughs) (laughs) When I used to do cheers, uh, I would start off with like a three-minute little monologue. And I could tell, based on the reaction to that monologue, whether we had a good crowd or a bad crowd. Do you find that to be the case? Hundred percent, and unlike I, I, I told to this just the other day, unlike a stand-up comic who, if he's dying, can manufacture his ending and going, "Oh, I see my time is up." You folks have been terrific. A warm-up guy, if you're dying, you look at your watch, you go, "Oh shit, I have four more hours." If they hate you, they hate you for four hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it, it, it was a, a challenge to say, okay, they're bad. And I loved it. I, I, mean, I did it for 35, 37 years to try to say, I can turn them around. I'm going to make them love the show and not leave. People don't realize they, they didn't pay to get in and they could leave at any time they wanted. And as a warm-up guy, you took it personal. If, if anybody left... I had my thing where I would, hey, where are you going? The two people would go, we, they pointed at their watch and go, we have dinner reservation. I go, really? Where? <laughs> Honey, where? <laughs> the plate, well, it's eight o'clock and they're not open. Come on. Uh, you know what? Have a seat. I, got, I have an idea. I would have one of the pages go to the craft services table and make up a plate. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go eat. We'll figure, ladies and gentlemen. This has just become a dinner show, and they would, you know, they'd laugh and they'd stay. But I would, it was like pulling teeth. You do anything you can to make them stay, and it was, it was a challenge. I loved it. There you go, part one of my two-part interview with Bob Perlow. Like I mentioned, he wrote a great book about his experiences called The Warm-Up Guy that's available on Amazon and everywhere else. Next week, we talk a lot about what it was like to be the warm-up guy on Friends. A very unique situation because a Friends filming would take eight hours. <laughs> he also talks about uh, a meltdown 
that Tim Allen had when he was uh, doing the warm-ups on home improvement and a lot of other stuff as well. So that's next week. Thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, Bruce and Jason Miller, and John Wolfert. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm on Twitter, at Ken Levine, also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. All right, are you ready for warm-up guy part two? That's next week, right here on Hollywood and Levine.